Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Welcome. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Today is exciting because we haven't had a chance really to talk uh, about sports at all. And uh, this is going to be a sporting tale for the ages. So, John, you told me recently you consider Taiwan's greatest sports story to be C.K. Yang winning the silver medal at the 1960 Rome Olympics. So that was Taiwan's very first Olympic medal, and it was for the decathlon. So in case you don't know what that is, um, it's 10 track and field events done over two days. The 100 meter, 400 meter, 1500 meter runs, and you got the 110 meter high hurdles, the javelin and discus throws, shot put pole vault, high jump, and long jump. Not exactly in that order, but 10 events done over two days. Wow. Amazing, yeah. Uh, CK was not only Taiwan's greatest athlete, in my opinion, his Rome medal, uh, not only the greatest victory for Taiwan in sports, but his rivalry and friendship with the gold medal winner, the African-American Rafer Johnson. Well, I think it's one of the most touching Olympic stories of all time, a story of friendship and of the Olympic spirit. Okay, so let's first um, figure out who CK Young was. So his Aboriginal name, and yes, he was an Aboriginal person from the Amis tribe was Masang Kalimud, but his Chinese name was Yang Chuang Guang. He had a couple successes at the Asian Games, and then he started being known in Western media, especially as the Iron Man of Asia. So as I noted, he was an Aborigine from the Amezu or Amis tribe, and they are the largest Aboriginal tribe uh, in Taiwan. So we've got about 500,000 Aboriginal people or native people in Taiwan currently. And of that 500,000, roughly 200,000 are Amis or Amezu. He was born in Taidong. That's in southeast Taiwan. He was born in July 1930. So that means uh, we're talking about the Japanese colonial era. And he was one of those guys that we've uh, come across before whose, you know, their education was interrupted in that switch from being Japanese to suddenly being Chinese, right? Japanese to Chinese mm -hmm. rule. A new system, a new language, and uh, the new name. Yeah, uh, he was the only boy, four sisters, I think. Uh, his father was uh, a farmer, also a good baseball player and athlete. But the young CK was a, a late bloomer, an ugly duckling who took a long time to show his athletic ability. At elementary school, he, he didn't show much athletic talent at all. Mm. And in the last years of World War II, CK Young moved with his family up into the mountains and they moved there to escape American bombing. And uh, he later told a journalist, we hid in the mountains and I got sick with malaria. After World War II, it came back. I was about 14 or 15 and was sick in bed for a year. Sometimes it got better, then it got worse again. It seemed like a long time and I thought I was going to die. He eventually got some medicine that cured him of malaria. And soon after, he shot up. He had a growth spurt. He became very tall and he was very thin. He says, people called me bamboo. I was really embarrassed. Uh, his classmates laughed at his tall, skinny, awkward appearance. But he persevered and played baseball. And he competed quite well in the long jump 
and the high jump. But as you said, his uh, uh, sports skills were not developed until later. Was actually, he was 20 years old when he accidentally discovered the decathlon and that he had talent for these various events. It was 1954, and these trials were being held to select Taiwan's team for the second Asian Games, and those were going to be held in Manila. And the coach was like, you know, uh, try some of these events. Young uh, stunned the coach and fellow athletes by his performance. Uh, his first attempts at the discus and shot put we're not that far off national records. Uh, he had only done hurdles once or twice and never pole vaulted. Despite his reluctance, the coach pushed him to try them, and he did so well that he was chosen to take part in the decathlon at the Asia Games in Manila just two months later, where he won gold. I cannot imagine suddenly just being told, hey, give a pole vault a try. Yeah. It's amazing. So C.K. Young then competed at the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne and placed eighth with a score that was still an Asian record. And he kept improving. And in a 1958 contest in the U.S., he came close to beating the American Rafer Johnson. Rafer Johnson was the best decathlete in the world. After that surprisingly good performance, a rich sponsor in Taiwan came up with the money for CK to stay in the United States to attend college and get the best track and field training possible. Originally, he was set up to attend the University of Southern California, but he was invited to UCLA, also in Los Angeles. And UCLA, that would mean training alongside Rafer Johnson and under his coach, Alvin Ducky Drake. Uh, so he chose UCLA. Okay, so UCLA is a little closer to the ocean and reportedly CK really liked being closer to the ocean. He later said, when I went to UCLA, my eyes were better, not so much smaller. So <laughs> evidently, L.A. was smoggy all the way back in the in the mid 50s. So thus began a special friendship and one of the most unusual competitive relationships in the history of sports. C.K. settled into an apartment near the campus, originally with an interpreter and coach from Taipei. He started learning English, taking courses to qualify for UCLA admission the following year, and working out with Rafer Johnson under the guidance of that coach you just mentioned, Elvin, but most people called him Ducky Drake. Yeah, despite the language barrier, Rafer and C.K., um, they formed a close friendship. Uh, Rafer lent uh, the Formosan a helping hand. I mean, CK was uh, a bit of a fish out of water. Uh, for example, he'd been charged about $50 for a taxi ride from the airport. Uh, that should have only cost $10. Mm. Rafer helped him adjust to American life, introduced him to his friends, took him bowling, which CK loved, and uh, invited him to parties. They went on double dates and other things. And one of the most important of those other things was the language, right? So Raver says when CK first arrived, his English was so limited that he always ordered the same thing at restaurants, beef steak, because that was one of the only words he knew. Beef steak, a useful word. Uh, unless you're a vegetarian. Okay. <laughs> but it does raise the question, John, uh, attending university with such a limited vocabulary? Uh, yeah, he spent that first year uh, studying English intensively uh, with his Taiwan coach slash interpreter. And then he entered UCLA uh, in 59 as a freshman in physical education. I mean, he his grades were poor. Um, you know, he was busy with sports, learning the language, getting married and becoming a father, but he uh, he didn't fail anything. Busy getting married, becoming a father, learning a new language, and being in college. Wow. Um, from Rafer's memoir, there's a quote here. It says, he learned quickly just as he did on the track. I've never met a more knowledgeable decathlete. 
His technical understanding of each event was so solid, it was like having a second coach. That and hard work enabled him to grow from an unknown in Melbourne to a world-class competitor. Mm. CK helped Rafa with the pole vault. At one stage, uh, CK would hold the world record for that. And Rafa helped CK with the, the weight events, javelin, discus, and shot put. Uh, CK was not as strong as the American, so these were his weakest events. Yeah. Uh, you said before people called him bamboo, right? He was so skinny yeah. that a coach actually advised him to start lifting weights. And that was quite unusual for sports people at that time. They, they thought it was a bad idea. You know, you bulk up and get too heavy. It was discouraged for track athletes. They thought you'd be slower, less flexible. Yes, but CK's experience with weights was positive and he encouraged Rafer to do so. And uh, Rafer uh, found this helped him improve as well. So we're going to fast forward to the late summer of 1960, which is the time when the Rome Olympics uh, would take place. But this is also a time of very, very peak Cold War tensions. Yes, Cuba's in the news. Castro has just confiscated American property on the island. Mm. The American U-2 spy plane pilot, Francis Gary Powers, he's on trial in Moscow just two weeks before the game started. And the space race is heating up. The Russians have just successfully put two dogs into orbit aboard Sputnik 5. Sputnik 5. Oh, did those dogs, were they the ones that got back? Yeah, they were the first ones to make it back, yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, very lucky dogs. Okay. So Eisenhower is also at the end of his term. He served two terms and Kennedy and Nixon have started their presidential campaigns. And in the U.S., of course, right around this time, there are significant civil rights protests. There's demonstrations, sit-ins, and a lot of it is protests over racial discrimination and the, the conditions that were uh, current at the time in America. So Rafer Johnson, he's an African-American, and he's the captain of the American Olympic team and the first non white to have that honor. And uh, matching that is Taiwan's Olympic team, led by C.K. Young, uh, an Aboriginal. So um, when we say Taiwan and Olympic, it really can get a little confusing because today yeah. Taiwan competes at the Olympics and other international events under the name of Chinese Taipei. Um, it's not necessarily beloved by everyone in Taiwan, but that's, that's a compromise we've worked out. Mm -hmm. But that was not the case in Rome. They wanted to use the name Republic of China at the Rome Olympics, but the PRC, the People's Republic of China, and its friends were not happy with that. Right. Uh, China had officially withdrawn from the Olympic movement in 1958 over opposition to the ROC being recognized by the International Olympic Committee, the IOC. But the year before Rome, the International Olympic Committee, IOC, they voted to force the ROC to use another name. So you couldn't use Republic of China. Mm -hmm. And the ultimatum was compete under the name Taiwan or Formosa or uh, not at all. So, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, Taiwan claiming to represent China didn't really make a lot of sense anymore. And the ROC reluctantly agreed to use the name Formosa, or was it Formosa, China? What was the final deal? Formosa. Formosa. The previous one in Melbourne was Formosa, China. Amazing to think that uh, we did once compete as Formosa. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, the American supporters of uh, 
the Republic of China, thought this was outrageous. They wanted Taiwan to boycott Rome. But the ROC government, the KMT, they wanted to attend regardless of the name because, well, it kept Red China out. And they were hoping C.K. Young would bring home China's first Olympic medal. Right. We have to remember, this is a first. <laughs> yeah. They've never won an Olympic medal. So you, you got to feel for poor CK. Uh, the yeah. nation's hopes rested on a single man's shoulders, right? A huge yeah. expectation has been built up uh, among the Taiwanese public who are following his every move. Yeah, there was massive media coverage here in Taiwan, radio broadcasts and newspapers, lots of contests predicting scores and rankings for everything he did. Mm. So it came to competition day, Monday, September 5th. After weeks of blue skies, wind and clouds uh, start to warn of a storm, and that just adds to the tension. The decathlon began as usual with the 100-meter sprint. Young scored a small lead on Johnson. In their second event, the long jump, Young increased his lead. Johnson's superior strength, though, saw him excel at the third event, the shot put, more than eight feet on Young's throw. With this, Rafer grabbed the lead. Then that uh, storm that had been uh, brewing hit the stadium and they had to wait out the heavy rain and darkness had fallen when they did their fourth and fifth events of the long day, the high jump and 400 meters. Olympic rules say that five events have to be completed each day and no postponements are allowed. You've got to do it. So Mm. in in the high jump and 400 meters, CK edged closer, beating Rafford narrowly in both. But the Americans still held a razor-thin overall point lead going into the second day. Yeah, uh, they'd had a long day from 7 in the morning, the 100 meters, to uh, late at night, maybe 9 o'clock. Okay, the next day, they start off with 110 meters hurdles. That puts Young in front. Then the discus, Johnson, back in the lead. There were three events to go after the lunch break. Pole vault, javelin, and the 1500 meters. And the pole vault was an event actually which Young excelled in and Johnson struggled with. Mm-hmm. But CK, apparently a very, very nice person, he actually went over and gave Johnson some advice. And their coach, Ducky Drake, and yes, both men had the same coach. The ROC had hired Ducky Drake for CK Young as well. The, the coach wasn't allowed on the field. So the advice from CK to Johnson was very useful. Johnson pushed himself and got a personal best, but Young still won, but not by his usual margin. Johnson now was in front by a mere 24 points. This is a virtual tie. John, maybe you can explain what what this means by the point thing. Okay, so um, you're looking at a total of about eight and a half thousand points. Okay, so 24 points, it's nothing. Right. It's tied. Neck and neck. Yes. So once again, the sun has set. They're under floodlights. A strength event, the javelin, Rafer threw six feet better than Young. Now, everything would come down to the final event, the 1500 meters. Uh, This was an event Young was stronger in. Uh, Johnson was now leading Young by only 67 points. Now, in real terms, this meant Young had to win by 10 seconds or more. A 10-second win, and the gold medal was his. 10 seconds. Uh, it's 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 a lot, but it's entirely mm. possible, right? Yep. Johnson's best time was nearly 13 seconds slower than Young's. So the coach, Ducky Drake, gave both of the runners some advice to Rafer Johnson. He said, the key thing is that when CK tries to pull away, and he will try, you have to stay with him. And then he went over to Young and said, CK, you run as fast as you can. Rafer can't keep up with you. 
But CK, he's not entirely convinced. He feared pushing too hard too early, and he worried he would get cramps, which had happened to him other times. The starting gun echoed and the race began. Johnson stuck to him like a shadow, dogging his footsteps stride for stride. Uh, Midway through the race, CK picks up the pace, but Rafer sticks with him. Both men were suffering badly, calling on their last reserves of energy and willpower. Yeah, suffering. Actually, people in the audience that day would say later that they could almost feel the men's pain. Rafer kept telling himself that this was do or die. It was his last decathlon, last time. Glory, and then no more suffering. So, finally, the two men crossed the line only 1.2 seconds apart. Young at 4 minutes, 48 and a half seconds. It was Johnson's best time ever. It was also Young's best time. Johnson's (sighs) total points tally had broken the Olympic decathlon record, but so had CK's. Young had finished ahead in the 1500 meters, had won seven of the 10 events, but it was not enough and he knew he had lost. A few steps after crossing the finishing line, Rafer caught up to CK and put his head on his shoulder. Young bent down to catch his breath and Johnson bent with him, hands on knees. The friends would embrace and congratulate each other. These scenes were caught on film and are now iconic. Definitely some uh, sportsmanship. So uh, after Rome... Rafer Johnson retired, right? That was his last one. But C.K. Mm-hmm. Young went on to new decathlon heights in 1963. He broke the 9,000-point barrier in the decathlon. The first man to do so. The first man on earth to beat 9,000 points. Amazing. That was the year he made the front cover of Sports Illustrated, which called him the world's best athlete. And another interesting thing. C.K. Young pioneered the use of fiberglass poles for the pole vault contest. This would prompt a change later in the whole point system thing you were talking about and Mm -hmm. probably hurt his uh, overall likely score. But despite the changes, CK was favored to win in the Tokyo Olympics scheduled for 1964. Tokyo would be his last competition. He was uh, 31. And these were the days of amateur sport. No money in it. Uh, And CK said, Before their games, uh, he said, I enjoy being an athlete. I like it very much, but I worry about my family, my wife, son, how to support them. Her family has helped us, but now I have got to earn some money. (laughs) Amazing. Considering the last uh, Olympic Games that we watched, uh, uh, the few Mm -hmm. athletes who won the various things, they're on television today. Uh, Basically, every commercial on television features one of these He would have made millions from the government and then billions from yeah. endorsements. Yeah, amazing. But nope. He had to amateur. turn down a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and it, uh, it grated. Yeah. And it, the story actually gets a, a little sad here because three days before the Tokyo decathlon, he comes down with what seemed to be a stomach virus or some sort of flu. Rafer Johnson, who's now at this point in Tokyo as a TV commentator, says, When I visited his room, I found him too weak to get out of bed. His muscles ached so much he could barely straighten his legs. C.K. Young competed, but was far below his best, and he finished a hugely disappointing fifth. But uh, there may well have been some mischief uh, behind all of this. Uh, In 1978, C.K. had dinner with uh, a man from Taiwan's intelligence agency, and uh, they were talking about uh, the Tokyo Olympics. And then uh, this intelligence agent dropped a bombshell. He said uh, that uh, he'd been poisoned. C.K. had been poisoned by one of his teammates, a teammate uh, who subsequently uh, defected to China. Okay, so... teammate had spiked C.K.'s orange juice... 
uh, one of their meals. Yeah. Huh. So we don't know if this is proven, but but the story yeah, goes. No proof. But, yeah. yeah. But wow, if that had been the case, the. So spiked his orange juice, possibly. And then two Taiwanese journalists, right? And one athlete yes. defected to the PRC during those Olympics. Yes, the uh, athlete was a pistol shooter, uh, originally from mainland China. Um, I guess he wanted to see his uh, family. <laughs> right. So in the decades after Tokyo, CK spent uh, most of his time between the U.S. and Taiwan. He starred in some movies, worked for the family business of his Chinese-American wife, who he met when we were talking about earlier when he was in uh, UCLA. He was a legislator for one term, and he mm -hmm. also coached Taiwan's national track and field team here in where I happen to live, Zhuoying, the district, now the district of Zhuoying in Kaohsiung City. And they have now a modern sports facility that was built only a couple of years ago where they train all of their uh, Olympic athletes. And um, bizarrely, he got involved in religion. He founded a Taoist uh, temple in his hometown of Taidong, um, the Temple of the Imperial Seal, where he um, had himself set up as resident uh, shaman. Well, shaman's not really the right word in Taiwan, um, Dungi, um, spirit medium, hmm. yes, spirit medium. It's an unusual end, isn't it? Yeah, you go from being a legislator and a runner, and a, maybe I'll found a temple. But to be to be fair, there there mm -hmm. there there often is some money in uh, in these endeavors. Um, he didn't accept payment. Really? Yeah. Wow. C.K. Young passed away in Los Angeles at the age of 73 in 2007. His old buddy Rayford Johnson said of him, Taiwan has lost someone who may be the greatest athlete of all time. And the rest of us have lost a great friend. So, John, uh, any last thoughts? Well, it's a tremendous story uh, of human dignity. And we've had to leave a lot of great details, side stories and background information out. And in the interests of Titus storytelling, the Rome decathlon is reduced to a duel, which is right. But I think there's a third hero, the Russian decathlete Vasily Kuznetsov. Now, he was not as at his best. He was nursing an injury at the time, but he secured bronze. Uh, he was a rival to Johnson and Young. Should they slip up, he, he would surpass them. Right. And the Soviet authorities refused at that time to acknowledge the ROC and Russian media had orders to completely ignore any athletes from the ROC or from Taiwan. So their coverage didn't even mention CK. Not even his name, yeah. But Vasily was a better man than his masters. And uh, with small, sincere gestures, like telling CK, you are very good, and giving him the thumbs up sign, he showed his feelings. And on the medal podium, he gave CK, in front of the world, a warm, two-handed handshake. This was humanity over politics. Ah, I wonder what the repercussions were of that yeah. when he got home. <laughs> But uh, speaking of politics, uh, Taiwan and China at the Olympics. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what happened over the following years. Taiwan was allowed to compete as the Republic of China at the 1968 Olympics in Mexico, and then again at Munich in 1972. But for Montreal 1976, they were forced to use another name, ordered to use another name, but they refused, so they skipped that games. But then there was a change of heart and they worked out this compromise. Uh, Taiwan could return, but as Chinese Taipei. So that was the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. Incidentally, the Olympic torch for 1984 was lit by Rayford Johnson. 
1984 would be the first summer games where you had Chinese Taipei and the People's Republic of China or the PRC in the same Olympics. There was mm. some sort of um, weird thing that happened in 1952, uh, John. Yeah, um, the ROC refused to uh, go to Helsinki. Uh, at the last minute, the uh, PRC were allowed, but they, they had problem getting transport to the games. They just turned up, I think, for the last uh, event. <laughs> so they did compete for like one event. Yeah. As as China. Yes. Okay. So that is the end of our uh, story of C.K. Young, a person who led an amazing life and who really is not very well known in Taiwan at all. I mean, there should be statues all over the place to this person. Uh, there should be movies made about him. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was our first sports story on Formosa Files. Uh, there will be more. We've got uh, golf and baseball and uh, all sorts of other sporting uh, stories. But this one really is special. Thank you for listening to Formosa Files. And thank you for writing in. People have uh, written into formosafiles at gmail.com. We very much appreciate that. If you would like to do that, once again, that's formosafiles at gmail.com. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Catch you next time. Bye.